This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey, everybody, Mike Griffith here, and welcome to tonight's Ingles on the Beat show. Always enjoy these Monday presentations. Coming to you hot right out of Kirby's press conference, and man, was there a lot of news today. I guess we start with William Poole. This is a player who is now separated from the program. Uh, Kirby last week, the status was uncertain. After doing more research into William Poole, William Poole no longer with the football team. Kirby made that clear. It's a very unfortunate six-year senior out of Hayville. Uh, you know, Poole started in the national championship game. He started against Alabama in the SEC championship game as well. Had really only played some third-down snaps at cornerback against Oregon. So I don't think this is a loss in terms of, oh, wow, what's the dog, what are the dogs going to do now? Kirby said he's got Javon Bullard that's been playing there as well as Tyke Smith. Kirby's got it covered from a depth standpoint, but you hate to lose a six-year senior in terms of just the fabric of the team. One more guy that understood the program. So no more William Poole. Uh, Eric Gilbert update today as well. Kirby says this is day-to-day. I wrote a story uh, about this, and that, that was all he said today, but there was some background that Kirby gave last week on his coach's show, Bulldogs Live with Scott Howard, and I thought it was really good in terms of how they bring the players in, and once they bring them in, they consider them a part of their family, and and they're doing all they can to help these kids be successful. But Kirby said, you know, there's also a certain element where you got to ask yourself, you know, if a player fits the culture, you know, does he like being coached hard? Does he like going? Not everybody fits the sense of urgency. And I'm not saying that you know, hey, nay, or hey, about Eric Gilbert, but you have to understand that it's just not an automatic given that every player is going to be at their best in this program or function at their best in this program. Sometimes they don't. We've seen that. You know, I did a kind of an around the transfer portal update. You know, you see Matt Landers led Arkansas in receiving and Latavius Brainy is starter now for the Hogs. You saw Jalen Kimber with a pick six for the Florida Gators really helped them win that game. Brenton Cox, nine tackles. Florida doesn't win without those two former Georgia players against South Florida last week. You know, so sometimes – you know, guys excel at other places and other programs are better. It'd be interesting to monitor and see what happens with Eric Gilbert. But again, Kirby Smart considers Eric part of the family. So this is more than just football for Georgia. And Kirby has said the most important thing is that he wants Eric to take care of his health, etc. So that's another happening today. Kirby revealed today Jalen Carter. You notice he did not start against South Carolina only played 11 snaps in that 48-7 to win over the Gamecocks. Kirby tells us today he's dealing with an ankle injury. That explains a lot. Probably also explains why Georgia only has one sack through three games. Michael Williams, the freshman. And hasn't he done a remarkable job coming in and filling Trayvon Walker's shoes? I can't even believe I said that in a full sentence. Trayvon Walker was the number one overall draft pick. Now, Michael Williams is obviously not as good as Trayvon Walker yet, clearly. But the fact that this guy's come in and started as a true freshman on the defensive line, very rare. This is a very mature and skilled player uh, and very big for Georgia that he's been able to step into that role formerly held by Trayvon Walker. I think one of the secrets to this Georgia defense has been the play of that freshman and Michael Williams. I didn't think it would be possible for Georgia not to have a dramatic drop-off behind Lewis Seen, one of the most feared hitters the SEC, one of the fastest 
players on the Georgia football team. But you've got to give it up for Malachi Starks at safety. He has done an unbelievable job. And another interception for Malachi Starks against South Carolina, a 42-yard return. Talked to Shane Beamer last night. I said, Shane, I don't want to try to turn you into some NFL or some sideline analyst, but we're trying to figure out the difference between 2021 Georgia and 2022. And he said, well, they don't look a lot different. He said on offense, they do what they do, but they're doing it better. And a lot of that has to do with the decision-making and playmaking of Stetson Bennett. I got hit with a question this morning. Somebody said, oh, you know, don't you, you, you think people are done? Disres-? I said, listen, nobody ever disrespected Stetson Bennett. He wasn't a, a great quarterback last year. He was good enough, but he wasn't great. And Dan Mullen said it best. Last year was like Georgia trying to win in spite of Stetson. Have people step up around him. Don't ask him to do too much. Kirby Smart called him a bonehead more than once for decision-making. But this year's version of Stetson Bennett does not look like last year's version. This year's version has had an entire offseason as the number one quarterback. This year's version has improved mechanics. He's making those out-route throws. He's always thrown a nice deep ball. Uh, you know, he's always been able to pop that ball up there and get plenty of distance on it. But now he's making those throws on the perimeter in the intermediate range that's really making defensive coordinators have to guard end-to-end uh, and all the way down vertical. So different stats in Bennett making good decisions, no turnovers yet for the Georgia Bulldogs. And Shane Beamer said, you know, what Stetson's doing right now, very impressive. And defensively, Beamer pointed to the length and size in the secondary. He said, you know, look, we got a guy loose. We schemed some things up. And South Carolina hit a 46-yard pass. And two plays later, there's an interception. But he said it's really hard, even when you get these guys in a good position for a 50-50 ball, Georgia's size and length in the secondary, you know, really makes it a challenge for your guys to go up in high point and win those battles for the football. So the size in Georgia's secondary, he mentioned the speed at linebacker, very difficult to get out on the perimeter, smile Monday, a guy that can really fly, uh, you know, Dumas Johnson, JDJ at the mic, led the team with six tackles, three quarterback hurries. Uh, you know, no, he's not the Kobe Dean yet but incredibly talented and very assignment sound. So what you're seeing is a team that's very well coached, that's very talented, uh, and that's playing with a passion and playing with a purpose. So all those things coming out of today's uh, you know, media dealing, I asked Kirby at the end of the press conference, and I said, Kirby, how do you know when it's time to pull a quarterback out? I mean, look, Stetson Bennett, and I wrote the story, the Heisman hype is real. Stetson Bennett is a top five Heisman candidate. He's the quarterback on the number one ranked team, and he's got really good numbers. His QB rating is good, his offensive yards per game, and now he's producing some Heisman highlights. You saw that run, uh, that 11-yard run that he had where he faked out a South Carolina linebacker. I mean, those are the sort of clips that stick in the minds of a Heisman voter. I am a Heisman voter, have been for a long time, and I can tell you, moments like that resonate. When a player is able to play make, now Kirby's going to say, hey, just – run the calls, run the plays. That's true. Yes, you have to do that. But on occasion, you want to see that sensational play that puts that player above the rest of the pack. And Stetson Bennett has been making those sort of plays through the first three games. This week's challenge, Kent State. And I say it's a challenge because on paper, this is a game that George is supposed to win by 42 points. But as Kirby Smart told us today, hey, look, this Kent State team is not as bad as y'all want to make them out to be. They did play Washington. They did play Oklahoma, and there were times in those games that they were competitive. Now, they ultimately lost both contests, and they'll be overmatched here on Saturday at Sanford Stadium. 
And yet, and still, Kirby wants the program to elevate. He wants the players to play to a standard. And he's going to push them in practice to do that. He wants to continue to ascend. Georgia football has gotten better and better and better each week this season. Now, can they get better again? And as for when you pull the quarterback, that's tricky because on the one hand, you do want Stetson to have some numbers that are competitive with anybody else in the country so that he's got a chance for an award like the Heisman or maybe the Davey O'Brien or, or, or maybe the, you know, the walk-on award that Arkansas gives. Certainly he would have to be the front runner for that this year. Would have thought that he would have gotten it last year. Uh, but at the same token, Carson Beck has come in and he's played really well. In fact, Carson Beck has a higher QB rating than Stetson does. Carson Beck has the longest run of the year. For anybody, 20 yards. Hard to believe that's the longest run of the year, but it is. And he's played really well. He's earned those reps. And then there's Brock Vandegrift. He didn't come here to sit the bench. That's a guy that could be starting at Oklahoma right now. And Gunnar Stockton, he's doing all the film work and putting in all the time. We've talked to Jake Brom about it. And Jake just glows about Gunnar Stockton's preparation. So, unfortunately, at the quarterback position, you can only put one guy out there on the field at a time. And that's Kirby Smart's challenge is the roster management portion of this. How do you make sure that everybody gets all the snaps that they want? And it's very difficult, even when you're winning games big. And at the same time, Kirby wants to see his team tested. Folks, I don't think that's going to happen until Jacksonville. And even then, I'm not exactly sure that this Florida team has what it takes to test Georgia. We'll find out a lot more about Florida this week when they play Tennessee. And I'll be up there for Dog Nation this week, trying to get a scout on these teams is, you know, they look to be the biggest threats to the dogs in the East, along with Kentucky, Georgia dispatching of South Carolina, much easier fashion than I could have imagined. You know, I went over to Columbia uh, on Tuesday for their media day and those players were confident and they were bought in and you could tell they thought they had something for Georgia, but you know, the way the dogs just marched down the field and were dominating that game half the crowd had literally left uh, by the start of the third quarter when they announced the crowd. They're just announcing the crowd is sold out crowd and half the people are already gone. Carolina showed up late and they left early and Georgia Nolan Smith said, that's what they want to do every single week. And there was a little bit of added incentive for the Bulldogs, especially on defense. They know that that was Will Muschamp's old stomping ground from 16 to 20. He was the head coach there. Uh, we talked to Keely Ringo about that. He said, you know, you can kind of see it in Coach Muschamp's eyes. Didn't really talk about it. Jamon Dumas-Johnson said, no, that wasn't brought up. But we wanted to send Will Muschamp out of South Carolina with a smile on his face. I think you can easily tell that that is indeed what happened. Story up on Dog Nation right now about that. You can see some video on the post game of uh, Lloyd and some of the other South Carolina players embracing Muschamp. Some of the players he recruited there. Uh, certainly a part, a piece of his heart will always be there, you know, when he coached there. But right now, Will Muschamp belongs to the dogs. He's back between the hedges where he was a player and him and Glenn Schumann doing an unbelievable job as co-defensive coordinators. And then on the offensive side, you've got Todd Munkin calling shots. And I really think Mike Bobo, the addition of Mike Bobo as an analyst, has probably helped Munkin. I was concerned at one point that maybe too many Chiefs, not enough Indians, so to speak, and that you know, how many people can you have in charge? But it sounds like Mike Bobo has really embraced his role and really enhanced Todd Munkin's ability to do some things that maybe Kirby would have been a little bit more reluctant to do if Bobo wasn't in his ear saying, you know what, coach, 
let market operate. And that's what you're seeing with the passes on the perimeter. You know, Georgia doesn't, Kirby doesn't necessarily feel the need to run it 30 times a game just to run it 30 times a game. He'd tell you he never did. But he wants to maintain that physical personality. And I think Munkin and Bobo and Stetson Bennett's performances convinced them you can throw the ball on the perimeter and it serves the same purpose as a run. So very interesting things. We're going to ask Jeremy Pruitt about that coming up here in just a little bit in the second half of the show. Really appreciate Jeremy joining us. You think about Jeremy. He spent six years at Alabama with Kirby and Nick Saban. He was there when that program lifted off the ground. And, and then he won a national championship as the defensive coordinator for Jimbo Fisher in the ACC with the Seminoles, right? And then he came to Georgia right here, coached with Mark Rick for a couple of years. And Jeremy actually shared with me the other day, he said, you know, Mike, I don't know if I'd have gotten that job at Tennessee if it wasn't for Coach Rick and, and recommendations. So I thought that was really classy of Mark Rick and, of course, uh, nothing, no surprise to anybody that knows Georgia football that Mark Rick is a, a classy guy that supports all his former coaches. And then, of course, you saw Jeremy go back to Alabama, win the 2017 national title, and then the three-year run at Tennessee, which didn't end well. You know, frankly, uh, you know, you saw that Tennessee settled their case. Josh Heupel called it a speed bump. Val certainly seemed to be doing just fine as they'll play Florida this week. But really enjoy having Jeremy on the second half of the show. I know it's a treat for you guys as well. If you've got questions for him or I, put them in the comments section during the show. And now uh, that's something Jeremy will take a look at, and we're going to get him more and more involved. I think he does great work. Right now, though, I want to get our sponsor, Ingles, involved. I want to toss to the halftime spot. Always enjoy this commercial because it's a reminder to me. It's a reminder to me of what we all went through, and it reminds me how Ingles was there for us in the, diff in the most difficult of times. Talk about frontline workers when some of us were afraid to leave the house had relatives who weren't doing well and had to get our supplies, had to know that we could count on Ingles to deliver, and Ingles did. Let's take this moment now and appreciate our sponsor, Ingles. It's in our hearts to feel for you. There's been ups and downs, turnarounds, there's good days and some bad. But we stand together for worse and for better. Well, welcome back to the show. And as promised, Jeremy Pruitt joins us once again. Coach, really appreciate you coming on here and offering us some unique insights and background into maybe what's going through coaches' minds and, and how coaches want to prepare their teams. And certainly Georgia coach Kirby Smart and that staff did an unbelievable job in their preparation for South Carolina last Saturday. The Bulldogs with a 48-7 to win. And I guess I would just start right out asking you about the Dogs' offense, you know, they scored on their first couple drives, finally had a three and out. The 19th series of the year, after the 19th series of the year, Stetson Bennett finally had a three and out. Your takeaways on this Georgia offense right now? Well, uh, the first thing, I think it, it starts with a quarterback position. Um, and, and I just happened to be riding down the road uh, when the game was over with, and I'm listening to an interview with Stetson Bennett, and they asked him about the confidence that he's playing with this year. And I thought the answer that he gave uh, probably sums up Georgia uh, right now as a football team. You know, he said it starts with our coaching staff. Uh, we have a great plan. We have really good players, you know, he said, around around me on offense. Uh, he talked about preparation. 
And he talked about how easy it was to play with confidence when you've got a good plan, you believe in the plan, and you've got good players around that you trust. You know, he had plenty of opportunities to kind of talk about Stetson Bennett, but he didn't. He talked about Georgia, and he talked about the program. And to me, that's the culture that's going on at Georgia right now. Um, and you have to give all the credit to Kirby and his staff and Coach Munkin. And uh, you talk about efficiency on offense, uh, and they've done it a bunch of different ways. So, um uh, George is playing really well right now, obviously. I want to dig a little bit deeper into the efficiency in the offense. You know, last year, and Dan Mullen said it, last year it was about, you know, can they win despite Stetson, right? And have everybody else do everything. You saw a lot of play action, power football, deep shots, RPOs. This year, Dan Lanning came out and said, you know what, I'm not going to let you do that. And Georgia said, no problem. We've been working on this all offseason. A lot more perimeter game and what they call the long handoff. Right. So Georgia's running numbers aren't what they have been. And some Georgia fans are saying, oh, my gosh, we're not running the ball like we used to. And Kirby saying we count some of those passes to the outside as runs. Can you elaborate a little bit more on what he means by that? Well, the, the RPO game, the run pass option. So and you can see it. Um, obviously, Stetson's very well versed, which is a credit to Todd Munkin and his staff. Um he seldom makes a mistake. He's, he, you know, so when they have the right looks, he spits the ball out on the perimeter and it creates a numbers game and they've got really good athletes that can make plays there. So right now, when you play Georgia, you're having to play the width of the field, all 52 and a third yards or 53 and a third, whatever it is. Uh, and then Stetson's got a big arm, you know, for a small guy, he can stretch the ball down the field and they've got guys that can, uh, they can get vertical on you, especially at the tight end position. Yeah, you're not supposed to have a guy like Brock Bowers out there. I remember the name David Boston was the name of that big jumbo NFL receiver that was such a difficult mismatch. And that's how uh, Brock strikes me is, you know, yeah, we call him a tight end, but really he's just a big guy that can catch passes and block. I mean, I, you know, and he's not the prototypical guy, but boy, he's amazing. Five catches and 121 yards. Three touchdowns last week. I mean, just a stat monster. You don't pay extra attention. On the other side of the ball, you know, we didn't think we'd be talking this much about the defense this year, Coach. We, You know, they lost eight starters. They lost five first-round picks off of last year's defense. And you, you said there has to be a drop-off. And yet, we didn't see the dogs get scored upon until the final minute against South Carolina against a really good quarterback in Spencer Rattler. What's Kirby and his staff been able to do to reload so quickly and efficiently? Well, they have good players, but to me, when you look at that game, uh, the maturity, you know, there was some times that, especially early on in the game, that uh, South Carolina gave them a lot of different looks, a lot of misdirection across the ball motions and was trying to get some balls out on the perimeter. But even after South Carolina made plays, I, I was very impressed at the poise of Georgia's defense. Uh, and they, they do a really nice job playing together. And I'm going to tell you, Mike, they're really good tacklers. You know, that's something that's always overlooked. When, when they get you in a one-on-one -on -one situation, they get you on the ground. So um, for teams to be able to move the ball against them, they're going to have to be able to find a way to throw it over the top of them and find a way to make them miss tackles. And right now, nobody seems to have the answer. Yeah, Kirby's really leaned on that point after the Oregon game. There were a couple of missed tackles, and that's all it takes to get him fired up. Obviously, an area of emphasis for the George Bulldogs, and we'll talk about their next game coming up here in a moment. I want to recap the Florida-South Florida game, and 
you know, you called that Kentucky win over Florida, and I, I didn't know if there'd be somewhat of a hangover effect. And obviously, you're playing an in-state team that's fired up South Florida. I mean, maybe playing a little over their head, but Billy Napier, first-year coach, and you've been that first-year coach. I mean, just how difficult of a situation is Florida in right now? Well, I think there's. They obviously have some depth issues. Um, they had some. They had a couple of players that were out for the game on defense. So. Uh, the surprising part to me was, um, you know, the lack of being able to move the ball, uh, especially creating a vertical passing game. And I think that's something as we we watch Florida move throughout the season, is Anthony Richardson going to be able to, to develop that vertical passing game uh, to make it a little easier on Florida's offense so it's not just ground and pound all the time. Yeah, they got their hands work cut out for them this week. We'll take a look at that Tennessee game here in a moment now. Jimbo Fisher had a really big football game at Texas A&M, and I know he's got an $85 million buyout. You know, A&M isn't in any hurry to try to get rid of a coach that they just extended two years ago and have this much invested in. So, you know, it's kind of for the best of all the parties. I just can't imagine if they would have lost to Miami, but they did win that football game. Your thoughts on the win and Texas A&M this year, are they going to be the biggest challenger to Bama in the West or is it Arkansas? Well, I would say right now it's Arkansas. Uh, if you just compared the teams, I think a and still trying to create an identity on offense. Um, you know, they're, they got a new quarterback or they're having issues at quarterback. Who's going to play the quarterback position. So, you know, the ball is going to go through his, his hand every snap. So they've got to create some chemistry there. Uh, defensively, a and playing really well. Uh, and if you look at them, they've kept them in games, uh, the first three games and enabled him to have a chance to win all three games. But I think moving forward, and I, and I believe Jimbo, he, he, he always seems to find a way his teams improve as the season goes. So I would see them improving each week. Of course, you would know that you were the defensive coordinator for Jimbo Fisher and the Seminoles in 2013, when they won the national championship, you probably got a ring somewhere around that house, somewhere coach mixed in with the Alabama rings. (laughs) So why LSU, uh, Brian Kelly, new coach, difficult culture, kind of looked on the ropes against Florida State in their opener. A big recovery and a big turnaround against what I believe is a very good Mississippi State team. So a couple things here I want to ask you. One, about Brian Kelly, the football coach, how impressive is it that a first-year coach was able to get this team apparently turned in the right direction in the first few games? And then two, we hear so much about Mike Leach in the offense. How difficult is it to prepare for this guy? Is he really the guru that everyone makes him out to be? Well, I think statistically Mike Leach has scored points everywhere he's ever been. So I would, I guess that's got to be guru status, right? Uh, everybody would like to have the numbers that he's been able to put up over not just a year or two, but over 20 years. But I think from Brian Kelly's standpoint, you know, you talk about kind of turning it a little bit. He didn't, to me, I, I thought they turned it during the game which is much harder. You know, um, I felt like Mississippi State would go down there and win that football game. Uh, they obviously uh, had an opportunity there, but there in the last few minutes of the of the third quarter and fourth quarter, you, you saw a different LSU team. And, hey, we've all been there in Baton Rouge on Saturday nights when that momentum gets going. Sometimes it's tough to stop. And they kind of rode the wave there and finished that game off in a nice way. Now, speaking of waves, it looks like a tidal wave has hit Auburn. They got destroyed by Penn State. This week, Missouri comes into town. And again, 
difficult times for Brian Harris and Auburn trying to bring somebody in from outside, try to do things differently, has not worked out. If you're Auburn right now, what's going on in that program? I believe the AD search, uh, the head coach. I mean, this just looks like about as challenging of a situation as we've seen at a major SEC program in a while. Well, I think really uh, the Auburn staff, Coach Harson and his staff and his players, they got to focus on the things that they can control, which is there on the football field. Uh, obviously, um, you know, finding somebody at the quarterback position that they have confidence in, kind of creating an identity that gives them a chance to score some points offensively. Uh, you did see a little bit of spark with Robbie Ashford in there in the second half. Uh, you know, it seems to have really good speed. So, uh, that's something that, to me, I'll be looking for this Saturday to see what kind of identity they can create offensively. You know, we were just talking about A&M a second ago, and I look up and they're playing Arkansas at a neutral site game. We talked about who might be the biggest challenger in the West. What's going to be the key to a game like that? You've got two teams, very physical. You mentioned a moment ago, A&M very good on defense, and Max Johnson now looks like he'll be getting his second start. Arkansas, K.J. Jefferson, Sam Pittman. Uh, with these giant linemen. How do you see that game playing out? What are going to be the keys for victory in that matchup? Well, I believe Arkansas is going to score points. Kendall Bryles does an outstanding job, so they're going to score some points. I think the key is going to be, can A&M keep up? You know, if, if Arkansas scores 30 points, can A&M get there? I think that's going to be the key of the game. Can they create a special teams touchdown, an extra possession, uh, create some turnovers, play well in the red area to keep Arkansas out of the end zone? going to be interesting. Of course, the big one on CBS this week, Florida-Tennessee, a game that you're very familiar with, having coached the Vols three years. This has been a hump that at times has been very hard for Tennessee to get over. It has a lot to do with how good Florida's been, right? This year, Tennessee, a 10-point favorite coach, and people in Knoxville bouncing off the walls. You've been there. You won eight in a row. You know how excited that crowd can get. What do you think is going to happen in Knoxville on Saturday? I think Tennessee's a 10-point favorite for a reason. I think they have the better football team. They've proved it through the first three games. Uh, they have more depth uh, throughout their team. Um, so, uh, barring injury or, or uh, turnovers on the Tennessee side, I look for Tennessee to win this game and may win it going away. Yeah, they sure could. And we know Georgia will probably win it going away, although Kirby told us two or three times today his biggest challenge is to convince us in the media and probably his own team that Kent State is a good team. And you can be a good team and still be overmatched when you play the Georgia Bulldogs. And I asked Kirby, when do you pull the quarterback out? And he kind of chuckled. He said, there's just a lot of factors. First, let's win the game. You've been in those mismatched games before as a head coach, as an assistant coach. What are you trying to get out of a game like that, the bye game against a team that you should, for all intents and purposes, beat handily? Well, I don't want to speak for Kirby, but being around him over the years and the way he's kind of wired, uh, I think every day when he wakes up, he, he he sees his opponent as in the mirror, right? I mean, right now, the level that George is at, uh, the one thing they don't want to do is go backwards. You know, to me, they, they played a really good first game and they improved the second week. They really improved the third week. I see uh, – you know, that's the challenge this week. Forget about who you're playing. Let's focus on Georgia – and the things that we can control, and, and let's improve this week as a football team. And that starts on Monday at practice and ends throughout the week. I think that would be the go throughout the season. 
Yeah, and one more question for you, Coach. He talks a lot about, and the players talk about, making the practices harder than the games. And obviously you and Kirby coach together under Nick Saban. So you have some idea of how Georgia goes about it. I mean, it sounds crazy to think that a practice could be harder than a game. What are some of the things that you can do to make it challenging for those guys that, that maybe go even beyond what they'll face on game day? Well, I believe that's a mindset. That's a mindset when you go in the building. Uh, in Athens, uh, that how they're going to play, the expectations, the standard, uh, you know, that when you walk out on the field and, and you see Georgia on the other sideline, you better expect a team that's going to play hard and they're going to hit you. They're going to be well coached. Uh, and it's something that I believe everybody in that program obviously takes a lot of pride in. And you can see it and you can hear it when the players talk within the media. It's something that's kind of driven in and it's an expectation. So uh, now when you get recruited into Georgia, I guarantee you that the not only are the coaches talking about the standard, the players are, are echoing what the standard is and the expectations to be a Georgia Bulldog. No doubt about it. Georgia against Kent State at noon. Want to thank everyone for watching the show tonight. Want to thank our sponsor, Ingles. They bring it to you every Monday night. Want to thank Jeremy Pruitt for joining me each Monday night. I think his insights are fantastic. I want to thank all of you tomorrow, Dog Nation Daily with Brandon Adams at 10 a.m. Of course, Centel's Intel on Wednesday and Friday night, our Go With The Flow feature, when we try to correctly forecast the SEC games at 7 p.m. on Friday. Everybody, have a great week.